Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, welcome in. It is indeed Downtown, the podcast. Episode number 147. Rich Kimball, Kerry Haskell with you. Farmer Zone Radio Studios in Bangor. It's where we do our daily show downtown. Every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 Eastern Time, the Zone Radio stations of Maine, streaming audio at downtownwithrichkimball.com. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And as we swing into a brand new month, got a couple of interesting conversations for you this time around. A little later in the podcast, very talented comedian, Tom Papa. He's been making people laugh for uh, more than two decades now. And as often as the case with, with comics, just seemingly getting better the more he does. His new Netflix special, You're Doing Great, is it's just fantastic. Observational humor at its very best, I think. That is, I don't, no one is doing it better than he is right now. That's definitely the case. And, you know, maybe it's because he's... You know, close, <laughs> closer to our age here that uh, we can appreciate his his reflections on things like mm. you know the annual physical and <laughs> kids kids getting ready to move out of the house and pets being pets and that kind of thing. But a very funny guy, and uh, we'll talk with him in the second half of the podcast. Up first, though, well, another guy who's doing pretty well for himself. He's a guitar legend. Played with everybody in the business. I mean, you you can't mention anybody that I can think of that uh, hasn't had a little help from Steve Luke if they're somewhere along the way. Michael Jackson worked with Quincy Jones. Has toured for many years as part of Ringo Starr's all-star band. He's the only guy who's been in Toto nonstop since back in 1976. And in the midst of the pandemic, uh, Luke went through some changes in his own life and decided to record... The way he likes to record, which is efficiently, uh, without a lot of uh, re-recording, do it and move on to the next song. And it's it's resulted in a terrific new album just released recently called I Found the Sun Again. We had a chance to talk music with the great Steve Lukather. How's it going, man? <laughs> just, well, you know, as good as anybody can be doing, given the times we're in. How about you? Well, I'd say the same. <laughs> been a very uh, interesting year, yeah, to say the least. But uh, you know, I'm 63 years old. I ain't never seen anything like this. It's absolutely mind-numbing, to be quite honest with you. But uh, let's not talk about all that because everybody's talking about all that. I, I don't really. I'm not. I'm not a public political person, you know. I'm been, right. I'm, a, I'm an old hippie, man. I'm a peace and love guy, man. And and uh, as, I just, as I, you know, I've got an allergy, and I'm just <laughs> you know <laughs> got to go to the doctor. You know, I'm scared to go to the doctor. Oh, yeah. So even though the doctors, the you know, the ear, nose, and throat doctors, the safest place to go, and you know, we're all afraid of our shadows, man. And this is the scariest part of it all. Well, I know this because I read it in the book that you're not a superstar poser, pretty boy musician. No. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I wear jeans, t-shirts, do Pendletons, and you know, I'm not like a fashion. I'm not a fashion maven, if that's what you mean. Uh, well, I want to talk about uh, the new music, which is, is so terrific. The new album called "I Found the Sun Again," oh, and you heard it? yeah, well, I've heard the cuts that are available out there. I can't wait to hear the whole thing. Love 
Love the song and love the video for Run To Me. Man, it's, it's such a great and uplifting song. Well, thanks, man. That was actually written for Ringo's 80th birthday in July. Holy July God. 7th. And uh, we did it one day in my backyard with Joseph Williams, with the director, and sang it with me. And co-wrote it and arranged it, and we did it. And he, he loved it so much he wanted to play on it, so we put him on it. Filmed it, and he said, well, put, I'm, I'm going to put it out now. I mean, it's, it's, it's the weirdest tune on the record because it's a pop song, and my record is not a pop record. Well, it was great per to se. see Ringo on there, and then it was great to literally see Joseph Williams pop up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean. Well, Joe Williams is one of the few of the eight people that I allow in my house for the past year. He is a newborn grandson. I have... An autistic ten-year-old son, you know, Ringo's eighty. He's one of my close friends. I see him. We talk all the time, you know. I mean, so I've, I've kept my gene pool of people that I see. I don't go out. We have a we have an assistant that gets our food, and I see my kids, and that's it. Well, uh, love that song. Once, the other once in a while, I you know I do something, but I do it outside, and I have to do it really safely. Right. I get tested every week. I mean, this is not something to fuck around with at this point. We all, everybody has to worry about this until we get it under control. And I don't know when that's going to be. No. I'm uh, hoping that we get it controlled by summer, you know? I hope so. Uh, the other song I've heard from the album is great and, and great bluesy sound, uh, Serpent Soul. Is that uh, is that more like what the rest of the album sounds like? No, man. That's like a tribute to Little Feet kind of a thing, you know? Uh, we just jammed and played. And the song is about just, Evil people. You know, the evil people that pretend to be nice. And I, I got help writing that. Stan Lynch from the Heartbreakers and uh, Jeff Babco, my co-writer and myself. And you got a little help, too, uh, from David Page chiming in as yeah, well. Bill Page played on the whole album, man. He played Hammond and piano. I wanted him on, on organic keyboards, man. I didn't use very much synthesizers. I mean, when they're there, they're very obvious, so... Uh, and they were played live. They were not over them. You know, we had Mellotrons. We had, you know, a couple little synth things. But mostly it was like Wurlitzer, Rhodes, you know, Piano, Hammond. I wanted to play it live and see if we could do it old school without rehearsals, without, you know, like here's the chart. Let's run the chart down. You know, I, I, I added a couple of... Uh, some of my favorite 70s cover songs that are obscure to sort of set the pace because I really wanted the record to be like a 70s record rec the way it was recorded, but I wanted a 2020 sound. Yeah, you did a little so a, little, little traffic, a little Robin Trower, and uh, and a great Joe yeah, Walsh song. That's music from my childhood. The people forgot that people used to jam in the studio and put it on a record. Al Cooper, you know, Hendrix. They used to just put these jams on records where people were interplaying it, you know, within the, within the context of a song, but there was room to move. And, like, a lot of times, like, we didn't discuss it. It just happened. And that's the magic. That's the magic you can't program. So I wanted to see if, A, I could still do it and keep all my solos without fixing them and overdubbing them and dulling them up and going, well, this is just how I play. I'm not trying to compete with my other guitar player friends because I'd lose, you know. I'm like, I'm the old guy now, you know. <laughs> There's a six-year-old kid that plays better guitar than me in Japan somewhere. <laughs> but it sounds like the recording experience was a hell of a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I did the whole album in eight days. Wow. Top done. We cut the rhythm tracks, do a little overdub if anybody heard something, a double the guitar part or whatever, and then I did the lead vocal. Next song, next day. 
and, and this is great. Alive, you know? this, Nobody had to fix anything. Nobody had to go redo the parts or let me put it through this or put it through that. And I put a nice little delay on my voice and made it sound big and so it sounds huge. I wrote it in the right key and I sang it. I sang it a couple of times. They put it together and that was the, that's the fucking thing. Joseph did a few background vocals for me. And that's the whole record, man. It's as honest of the things I've ever put out. Nothing about it. There's witnesses, so I can't. I'm not lying. <laughs> so there's some footage right. that Brent Carpenter took of a uh, low spark of High Hill Boys, the take, it was live. It's 100% live. Dude, all I have to do is stand in front of a green screen and sing, it, and sing the lyrics, and then you have a fucking video, you know? I understand, too, that uh, Share the Proceeds are going to our friend uh, Ed Asner's Family yeah. Center for Autism. Well, my son is autistic. Yeah. So, I mean, I want us to make sure that they get a percentage of, uh, of the, you know, the profits. And also uh, being I released. I want to make people aware of it so that they can donate on their own, you know, because uh, autism has hit the, the world hard. And for the first time, you know, somebody, every family has been hit by it. Somebody knows somebody. Their next-door neighbor's kid has it or something, you know. Wasn't like that when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, Joe Williams releasing his album, uh, Denizen Tenant, the same day as yours, and you guys, uh, you, you both played on each other's albums. We're a big fan of Joe's, too, because his, I think it was his great-grandmother, uh, great-grandparents owned a store here in Bangor, Maine. <laughs> that could very well be true, man. I don't know. I really don't know, but anything's possible. <laughs> See, I did my album in eight days, and Joe spent months, you know, meticulously going through his album like, Joe, you know, Peter Gabriel. So he's blossomed as a renaissance man, as a as a as a as a producer, as a writer, as an artist, as a filmmaker, as a creative person, and he's just one of my best friends. He's really super smart and well read, not crazy, you know. I want to talk about some of the early stuff. I loved your book, The Gospel According to Luke. Hey, and man, this is my nice version of the book, you know. <laughs> I didn't take anybody down, you know. February ninth, sixty four. A lot of us kids the, all what? watching the same thing. Ed Sullivan, and for you. For you with the Beatles, it was one song in particular that that made you think you might want to do this for a living, right? Oh, I saw her standing there. The solo and that, I just fucking wore it out. I was able to tell George that. He became a friend of mine later in the early 90s. A lot of people want to be rock and roll stars. You wanted to be a session musician. You looked up to guys like, you know, well, Tommy. I mean, you know, when I first started out, I wanted to be the Beatles. Of course, everybody wanted to be the Beatles. <laughs> you know, we were kids. But then when I got into high school, I found out about session musicians through the Picaro family, and then that became a much more viable possibility as opposed to being a rock star is like, you know, needle in a haystack, right? My parents were like, well, you could possibly become a real musician if you work behind the scenes, you know. You got to know your shit, though. So then my father made me take lessons, and he's the smartest thing he ever did. I was 14. I've been playing for seven years. So I could play. I had a really good ear. I could pick shit off my records and stuff like that. But my teacher had to teach me how to marry had a little lamb reading one, you know. You mentioned the Procaros. How, how did they change your life, meeting that family? Well, they changed everything. I met Steve. I met Jeff. I met Mike. I met the whole family. Then I met Paige. It's 15 years old. It was life-changing. And you got some great opportunities as a result. One of the first big ones that was the chance to play uh, with Boz Skaggs uh, on his yeah, album. that was a big one. And then go on tour with Boz as well. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of my life. Boss was real good to me, man. Let me play on his record and featured me live, called me the kid and all that shit. It was weird to have a 19-year-old kid playing guitar on the road, you know? 
Now it's commonplace, but then it was weird. Well, when Toto started, uh, man, the, the critics absolutely hammered you because, uh, I don't know, because yeah, it was good. For 40, 45 years, man. <laughs> but, well, the critics don't matter as much as the fans who have loved your music for for more than well, four we decades. The, you know, we got three billion streams. <laughs> we were one of the most streamed bands during this lockdown. It's scary. You become successful during disasters. It doesn't have the same feel, you know. Uh, you wrote one of the biggest hits for the band. Can you uh, talk a little bit about the creation of I Won't Hold You Back? Well, I was a song I was writing during the turnback sessions, uh, and I thought it was too soft for us. And uh, Paige kept going, finish that song, man. It's a good song. You know, I put it together and was playing it, and we are doing Total Four, and I said, let's cut that song, man. And I wrote the bridge on the spot because I didn't have a bridge. And that became the soaring guitar solo. Uh, while we were at the session, it was like, you know, I started playing on piano, and then Paige came in, and I said, Paige, you play this. He plays better than me. It's just really slow, and, and you'll put the finesse into it. So he played my part better than I would have played it. What was it you said to Paige about the odds of Africa becoming a hit? Oh, I, we, not, we buried it on the album, the last <laughs> cut on the album. You know, we didn't think it was a hit. We thought it was a great production thing. You know, we made the whole record before we heard the lyrics. And the lyrics were like, wow. Okay. <laughs> Fantasy song, Dave. I've never been to Africa. Let's get Serengeti in the lyrics. How do we do that? Uh, that was Dave and Jeff, man. You know, that wasn't me. I mean, it, it, it's become kitschy now, you know, but, you know, it was... It was a fantasy song. It wasn't about, you know, it was written in 1980, man, 81, you know? You have to remember that. Things were different then. What was it like working with Quincy Jones? Great, man. I started working with Q when I was 22. I did the Dude album. It was right after Off the Wall and right before Thriller. And that was the first time I worked with him. I did that whole album, and he said, I want you to work on the next Michael Jackson album. I said, fuck, let's do it. That'd be great. And uh, we did a whole bunch of that record. So I've done a lot of stuff in my life. Yeah, you have, absolutely. You also, uh, and you write in the book about uh, the loss of your best friend, uh, Miguel Ferrer. What a tremendous talent. And you guys were, it seems like, brothers. We were brothers. We were my soul brother, man. I miss him every day. That's how I met Clooney, you know. He was George Clooney's his cousin. His uh, mother was Rosemary Clooney. His brother's Nick Clooney. He was George's father. So he was cousin Georgie before he was world famous George Clooney. Well, and you would just hang out, and, and Rosie would give you a hard time whenever you did something no, no, no. she didn't think right. you should she do. Loved me, I loved her. I adored her. Ever we spent twenty Christmases together. She'd sing White Christmas with Michael Feinstein playing piano on George Gershwin's piano, and you know, in Beverly Hills, Kevin Caviar, and my kids growing up and all that, and with all their wonderful family. You know, and we all love each other. And when Miggy died, part of me died with him. Man. It was really a tough one for me. Lost a lot of friends in the last couple of years, bro. Soul brothers, man, that were like, some you knew, some were really famous, some weren't. Some were high school friends, you know. Some were just people I knew, people I worked with. Sad. Yeah, well, you know, you're you're only a few it months older than me. Older, man. It is like it's not for the faint of heart being being sixty two. No, I lived through the war. That's the way I look at it. I lived through the war, and now I'm sitting back and going, 
wow, man, I was trying way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a son who's 33 and, you know, starting out in the record business real hard, you know, and now he's he's me. I'm going, oh, God, I was so wound up. He's wound up tight. You know, I'm wound up tight. You know? Now I'm not wound up tight. This year off has been a blessing for me emotionally and spiritually. Fortunately, I'm not worried about if my house is going to be taken away or something. I was able to take a year off and find myself again and find out who I really am and let go of the anger and resentments of the past lawsuits and unfortunate endings of certain relationships and starting over again. Me and Joe getting really tight and deciding, hey, we both got solo albums all coming out on the same label. Let's just tour together. And then all of a sudden David goes, we paid for the name, used the name. <laughs> You know, pay the women and fucking be done with it. Price of doing business. We're definitely separated with Dogs of Oz, Toto, Dogs of Oz to a different band. It's still Joseph, me, and X, and Warren. It's been, the band sounds great. The live stream went really, really well. Uh, to the point where they want to make it a DVD. So we're going to put it out, I guess, before we go on tour this summer. I'm hoping we go on tour this summer. We have a whole tour booked and tickets are selling and shit, you know. And you've been touring, uh, too, for many years, uh, off and on with Ringo and the All-Star well, Band. I've been 300 days a year for the last 10 years, and it was like 1,000 miles an hour running into a brick wall. You're done. It's over. So I had to regroup, and first it was like great vacation, you know, and then we did that. And then, fortunately, I fell in love and met a wonderful woman who cooks incredible and looks after me and takes care of me. And I've been writing and doing creative stuff with Joe. Joe's been doing my, we're working on my new video for a new single for the title cut. That's going to come out, you know, so we're just kind of putting it all out. We're, we're changing. We have to move and change with the changing music industry. You know, we play to our audiences. We have a big audience, fortunately, keep us alive. But I think these records are going to cross over because I think they're honest records. I mean, everybody's been hearing the same record for a long time. These records don't sound like everybody else's records. And do you put less pressure on yourself now when you're making a record? No, I put more pressure on myself because I said, this is it. I'm doing it. I'm not going to spend six months in the record tweaking this. Let's see if we can do it if we're good enough, like we think we are. We're big badasses. We should be able to do this. But all the kids can't do that now. They can't not rehearse and show up and just look at a chart, go over it once, make a few changes, rehearse a difficult section or whatever and then cut the tape and it's take two and then you overdub the vocals and it's done. Name me a band that can do that now and have it sound the way my record sounds. Yeah, I mixed it. A day, so it's 16 days in total. 18 days to cut it, 8 days to, to mix it and master it and it was done. Joseph spent months and months because he was the main guy and he hired other players and he did all this other stuff meticulously casting each song. I was more like, let's put a band together and make a record. Jam. But jam within the context of songs. You you love blues, you love jazz, you love all, all kinds of music. Yeah. What's the state What's the state of music today? Popular music, rock music, whatever we want to call I don't, it. You know, to be honest with you, man, I, the music that young people listen to, I, I, it just doesn't hit me, you know? I don't, I, I mean, it's not as bad or anything like that. I, I, there's some great new music out there I hear once in a while. My son's band, Lavara, is just fucking killer. they got a brand new album coming out in May. And it's melodic power. Roxy Perry singing on it. I mean, it's powerful stuff. He's become a major talent. You know, I'm really proud of him. Uh, we'll see what happens there. 
man, he's going to get beat up because of my last name, you know. It's like, uh, so, you know, people that don't like me, all of a sudden they just immediately don't like him because of me. It's, it's not fair, really, you know. Or they, you know, but it's helped them too. So, I mean, I can't say it, you know. It's part of the game. I have to ask you about something from the book. Did you and do you still have a Toto bidet? I do. <laughs> the best toilet ever. <laughs> well, come on. You, I, I would have to have one, wouldn't I? Oh, if they made one, yes, you'd have to. No question. Oh, they should give them to me. I should be their fucking spokesman. <laughs> I read, too, your friends with J.J. Abrams. We love him because he was smart enough to marry a girl from Maine. Ah, lovely girl, too. Uh, no, I'm not close friends with him. We're friends, yeah. We vacationed in Turks and Caicos a few years together, had Christmas together, and became buds, man. I think the world of him. He's one of the nicest guys ever. Really super smart, and obviously his talent speaks for itself, you know. I have an eclectic roster of friends. Well, you do. One of them we had on our show just a, a few weeks ago. Actually, he introduced you to uh, to Miggy, I believe, uh, Billy Moomy. Moomy, yeah. One of my oldest, dearest friends of 45 years. I love Moomy, man. I talk to him every day. We have a little thread, you know. Well, I can't wait to hear the rest of the album. Uh, I found the sun again officially coming out on February 26th. It is it's so great to have new Luke music out there. And All uh, right, man. Thanks a lot for your support, bud. You great. It's great to talk with you. Be well. Hopefully, we'll get you back out on the road this summer. But man, I'm, listen, we're we're moving ahead with plans as if it's going to go on. If by God awful chance we can't do it this year, we'll do it next year. Well, I'm not going away. We're not dead. That's Tell awesome. me when we're going to add stuff to the set. We're going to do solo stuff from our albums during the total set. So like we don't have to do solo tours anymore. We can do tours and do solo stuff and do total stuff, deep cuts, do the hits. Play the stuff, whatever, with a killer band. I mean, just trying to keep the music alive. It's not Toto from 1978. It can't be. Cats are dead or retired. I just want to play. Joe and I want to work. I'm not dead yet. I still got music to make. No, it's not the same Toto. I wish it was, but it's not. It can't be. Fifteen times. I'm the only guy that's changed with it all 15 times. Well, we're glad to see you still making great music, uh, Luke, and appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks so much. Thanks, mate. Well, till next time. Steve Lukather with us here on Downtown the podcast and for our radio show carrie you had to deploy all of your editing skills to, <laughs> to make luke's colorful conversation suitable for airplay yes uh, it was the most editing i've done on an interview so far <laughs> but all out of enthusiasm you know just oh yeah the way he speaks nothing wrong with that it worked out very well man we had a great time talking with steve lukather check out his new album I found the sun again. We'll uh, get a quick word here from Cross Insurance. When we come back, comedian Tom Papa on downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Back on downtown, the 
podcast and let's give a little listen to some of the new Steve Lukather album. Here's the title Cuts, I Found the Sun Again. Steve Lukather for being with us. Up next on the program, a comedian who has been doing what he does for a couple of decades now and uh, just gets better and better. He's the author of a couple of books. Got a brand new Netflix special called You're Doing Great. Hosts his uh, podcast, a couple of shows on Sirius XM radio as well, including Come to Papa. We had a wonderful time talking with the very funny Tom Papa. Love the special on Netflix, uh, but I, I have to ask... Are, are we really doing that great? You are doing that great. This is as good as it gets, kids. It's not going to, uh, I don't know what you thought was going to happen, but this is, uh, this is pretty much what we get. So you got to make the best of it. Uh, I love uh, you bring up in the, the special, the fact that people are always telling you about the things that they're quitting. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's, uh, everybody's always proud to come up and tell me, that they're quitting meat or they're quitting gluten or they're quitting this and quitting that. It's, I don't care what you're quitting. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care. It's just, uh, just go about your life. Live your life for crying out loud. We, we put a lot of this stress on ourselves. Why do, we, why do we set these fairly impossible standards to live up to? I don't know. It's a very good question. I don't know. I think, uh, I think that's our... Our little uh, very active brains are always thinking that there's more, thinking that there's more to be done, more to happen, more to more money to make, more things to see, and uh, and that's good. That's positive. That keeps you moving along and keeps you inquisitive and it, it pushes you to different places. But it could also frustrate you if you think that at the end of all these quests, you're supposed to just be uh, super happy all the time. <laughs> I always just say, lower the bar. Just lower the bar. You'll be much happier. Well, as you point out, too, social media doesn't help us a bit when it comes to that. No, it's amazing. I mean, you know, it's so remarkable, and there's so much potential there, like that you can see everybody's uh, problems, and you can kind of you can expose injustices and things like that. But it really has devolved just down to other people posting things about their life to make you feel terrible about yours. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, like, I never get off of Instagram or Facebook and think, wow, good for everyone. <laughs> uh, some very funny stuff uh, in, in both your book uh, and in the special uh, about your family. Kids and, and family, uh, I'm figuring this out. I'm late to the parenthood game. I'm, I'm 62 with a seven-year-old. I should have known oh. this, but kids cost money. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, endless money. I, it's it's uh, it really makes you think. Like, there's I you know, people always ask me like I'm, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if it doesn't matter. Just have them. <laughs> you're you're just gonna have less of whatever you have. That's okay. And you know what? <laughs> frankly, it's you're better off pouring your money into your kids and fix their teeth, send them to school, <laughs> give, give, spoil them, do whatever you have to do. It's, you know, it's better than the stuff you're going to spend it on. I mean, you know, anytime I see a guy with a jet ski, I know <laughs> they don't care about their family. 
Do uh, do your kids treat you differently, Tom, than you treated your parents? Um, I would say yes, completely. Um, they have. Uh, I was. My parents instilled a good, healthy dose of fear in me, so I respected them <laughs> and would never say anything bad about them. My kids have no they know that i am not to be feared <laughs> i never spanked them i never did anything so they say things to me like we can hear you chewing <laughs> as if i'm supposed to stop <laughs> right I, I try to add some noises just for effect to annoy my little guy oh my god my daughter came in the middle of uh, the early part of quarantine my daughter came in and said, we're trying to watch a movie and we hear your breathing from the other room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess I'll just stop breathing so you can watch The Avengers. <laughs> now, has your, uh, has your daughter graduated from high school now? Yes, I have. Uh, she's a freshman in college, and then I have another one who's a sophomore in high school. Wow. That went fast, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it definitely it definitely speeds along. But uh, you would think like, okay, with one with one less child in the house, you would have uh, uh, less aggravation. But um, that's not the case because as soon as she left, the younger one, without us even really being aware of it, went out and adopted a pug, a rescue pug. <laughs> so now we got rid of the daughter who was doing all of her crazy things, and now we have this what looks to be a 75-year-old man snoring and snorting all around the house. <laughs> We're talking with Tom Papa here on Downtown Night. My, my producer, Carrie, has got uh, a fairly old cat, and uh, in your Netflix special, you talk about the experience of saying goodbye to your cat. Can you offer Carrie any, uh, any help here? Oh, no, they're all heartbreakers. It's... Uh... It's, it's, there's no, there's nothing I can say. I mean, my hesitation is uh, my father gave away all of my pets as a child and they would, he would get a pet, he would get a dog then he would like chew on the coffee table. My father would get rid of him. So I spent my whole childhood never getting that close to the pets. They were like war buddies, you know, <laughs> like you don't want to get too close because you don't know what's going to happen in the next battle. <laughs> That's the way. <laughs> that was the, that was the way I was with my pets, and now as an adult and having a family and having the, the pets, uh, and you have like this old cat, you can't. You're, you're you know your heart's going to be broken, but you can't stop loving them either. You gotta you gotta just you gotta take the hits and let that old cat just warm your lap and just know that they're going to crush you in the end. <laughs> now, is the pug at least a male? Yes, first oh. male in the house. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I have uh, I've married a girl. I have two daughters. We've got a lizard that's a girl. We've got a cat that, and another dog that's, that's, that are female. And I was like, okay, we're going to finally get a, uh, get a man in this house. And <laughs> it is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> In typical male fashion, is just lifting his leg and marking everywhere, letting everyone know he's bought. And, oh, man, that, that was a mistake. Uh, I happened to watch your special right after I had had my uh, annual physical. 
And I, and I yeah. laughed a lot because, uh, yeah, apparently they're changing up how they do things. I had the same primary care guy for years, and I've got this this new guy, and I, I guess I was looking at him expectantly at the end of my physical, and, and you, you know, the same message you got, we don't do that anymore, and then I hope I didn't seem disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a very strange situation. The one, the one invasive part of the exam that we always hated Somehow we miss it when it's gone. <laughs> and then he, he actually said to me, I mean, I, I can if you want me to. And I, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not good. I have, to go, uh, I have to go back to the dentist, actually. And I haven't gone during the pandemic because I, uh, I didn't feel that that was that safe. But uh, he's saying, come on in and we're going to put you in a hazmat suit and give you your cleaning. I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm going to, I think my grandfather went to the dentist once his whole life. <laughs> I, think I might follow that. Uh, Tom, I want to go back a little bit. Can you, uh, can you talk about the role that Jerry Seinfeld played in your career? Oh, Jerry was a great mentor, especially early on, you know, when you're kind of flailing around and trying to find your way, he showed up at the New York clubs and thought I was funny and took me under his wing and took me out on tour. And we just got, and he's one of those guys who loves to discuss comedy and just have confirmation that I was doing the right thing, that I was writing, working at it the right way was just, uh, I always say that that was the biggest break of my career was, was more than getting on TV and doing all those other things just in order to be a great comedian. It was, it was really just meeting Jerry that really changed everything. And it's also good if you're going to have a, a, a good friend and mentor. It's always nice to have one that has their own private plane. <laughs> <laughs> I have searched so long for that, but I'm, I'm still working on it. Uh, you and Fortune get to talk to uh, uh, some great comedians along the way, and you guys are, are so great together. Did, did you know this would be a good combination? Yeah, I just thought that, uh, you know, I had met her several times just around doing stand-up and when uh her name came up on a list of potential people to go after for this morning show i was just she was one of those people i knew i could be funny around and we could have a i, I just knew that the chemistry would would be there sometimes you get around people and even though you're funny it, it they kind of put a dentist x-ray blanket over your funny bone <laughs> but with fortune i just i knew that i just had a great instinct that we could be funny around each other. Well, you guys are great together. Now, we, uh, we're we working our way through uh, all of the regulars on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh, Paula comes on with us uh, quite a bit. Tom Bodette's been on, Amy Dickinson, uh, our friend Josh Gondelman. Uh, of of all the people that you go up against, and it's not really a heated competition, but, but if you were playing for high stakes, who's the best at actually playing the game? Oh, man. They, you know, it's kind of sneaky. They do a... I've only won it once. I've, I, I recently won for the first time because everybody that they put on there has a sneaky combination of being really funny and really smart. And, uh, oh, man, I don't know. I, I love going with Paula, though. I mean, I'd, I'd rather be on with Paula and lose <laughs> than not be with Paula. She's just such a brilliant mind, and I just get a kick out of her so much. And if you... If I can make her laugh, that is the biggest win for me. 
I have a weakness uh, for those VH1 specials, and you're on a lot of them. I love the, the 70s, the 80s, the, the, all the decades. And I, I'm curious when they shoot those, do they? Mm-hmm. Do you just sit in there and they you know, are throwing at you like, uh, okay, uh, Andrew McCarthy uh, with Three Mile Island, Princess Die? Uh, do they do all of it yeah. at once like that? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much how they did it. I mean, it's been a while since I've recorded those, but yeah, they. Uh, that's pretty much it. You just kind of come in, sit down, and they just fire off all these topics <laughs> at you. <laughs> a great way to make a show. Have all these great comedy people come in and do all the writing for you. Yeah, well, that's perfect. <laughs> well, uh, the book is wonderful. The Netflix special, uh, which came out uh, about two, three weeks ago, you're doing great, is uh, absolutely wonderful. We, we were talking about this earlier when we finally move past the whole pandemic thing and, and get to whatever normal used to be, is there one thing that you really look forward to doing most of all? Yes. I mean, besides performing in front of crowds, I really miss that. But for everyday life, it, I just, it's to sit in a restaurant with a crisp white tablecloth and have an ice cold martini brought to me that I don't have to make by myself in, at the, in front of the kitchen sink, that to me is going to be the finish line. I'll know we're back to normal when I'm doing that. I like the sound of that a lot. Uh, Tom, really enjoy your work. Uh, thank you so much for making time with us today. Oh, you're the best. I love Maine. I hope to see you in person sometime. That's Tom Papa with us here on Downtown, the podcast. Of everything out there in the world of entertainment, <laughs> doing stand-up to me, I mean, I've done improv comedy, I've done... I've done theater, I've, I've sung on stage, and I'm not a singer, but stand-up to me is about the scariest thing I can ever imagine doing. It would be very difficult, yes. I, I, I Man, I, I, I admire stand-ups for just being willing to go on stage and attempt to make strangers laugh. It's yeah. uh, not an easy task, and uh, th- then when you get someone like Papa who's just so, so good at it. Well, and in this day and age, too, I mean, you, you go back a couple of generations ago, you, you could do the same act for years mm. because you didn't have the Internet. You know, OK, right. all right, I did it on Ed Sullivan. Should I change it up the next time? Or I did it on Carson. Yeah, I'm probably OK for a while because I only did five minutes there. I've still mm. got the rest of my act. But but these days, everything ends up on the Internet. You've got to constantly be, be tweaking, uh, be refreshing what you do. And it's, uh, man, it's work, but uh, he's one of the best around, Tom Papa. Enjoyed having him with us here on Downtown. Check out his Netflix special. You're doing great. Thanks to Tom. Thanks to Steve Lukather as well. And thanks to you for joining us this week. Hey, leave a good review. A great review. It's only good. Thanks for nothing. Uh, Leave a great review. (laughs) Subscribe. Tell your friends. And join us the next time right here on Downtown, the podcast.